All right, we are continuing now in the Gospel of John, coming to the end of chapter 8. So we're in John chapter 8, verses 48 to 59. Uh, you can find that on page 895 in the Blue Pew Bible. So here's John's Gospel, chapter 8, 48 to 59. The Jews answered him, Are we not right? In saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say... If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of God. Please have a seat. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me as we come to this passage? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are um, uh, undone by the number of ways that we have been reminded already um, of your goodness to us, um, of of the fact that you call us into your presence to worship you, uh, of how uh, the heavens declare your glories and the law that you've given us revives our souls, Um, how you've given us this day uh, to rest uh, from our labors, Um, but not only in order to put things down and take a nap and disengage, but but really to engage all the more um, with what we were most fully made to do, uh, to be in your presence, to glory in you uh, and in you alone. Um, as we come into this passage and, and see how Jesus glories in you, um, it is our heart's desire uh, to be made more and more in his likeness and to, to, to be like him, to, to act like him, to speak like him, uh, Father, to pray like him. We thank you that you have given us uh, these psalms that we're reading together um, that teach us uh, how to pray and how to pray the whole gamut of human emotion, all of the joys, all of the sorrows, uh, the laments, the anger, uh, Father, the, the, the exaltation um, that we feel uh, in your presence. Um, we are certainly those who at times don't know what to do um, with life, uh, with our emotions, with, uh, with everything that life uh, has thrown at us. Um, in this in this last season, and and so we're grateful that once again we can say you have not left us alone. You have given us your word. You have given us uh, time 
You have given us space. Uh, you have given us to each other. Um, above all, you have given us your son. Uh, we don't want to take any of these gifts for granted. Um, on the contrary, we want to receive all the more. Uh, we want to ask for all the more. We want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be present with us um, as we are here in your presence, uh, attending to your word. Uh, please do the work in us that we need you to do. Um, please heal our hearts. Uh, please uh, heal our affections. Um, please uh, enable us to forgive uh, where we need to forgive, to repent where we need to repent. Um, Father, we ask uh, those of us who are in positions of authority, uh, whether as parents or, or in the workplace uh, or in classrooms or in, in any other setting, um, that we would be able, uh, Father, to, um, to, to, to lead and to, and to model the kind of authority that you uh, modeled uh, for us, an, an authority um, of sacrifice and of service and of self-giving and, and of humility. Um, Father, for those of us uh, who are in uh, positions of submission um, to parents, to teachers, to bosses, uh, all of us in one way or another, um, owe allegiance, um, owe honor uh, to somebody. And we, we struggle with that. It is hard for us um, to, um, to submit. Uh, but you have told us in your word to submit to each other. Uh, and, and, and you have told us um, that it is, it, is, it is part of being human, um, that, that among the ways that you've called us to lead is to submit to authority, above all to yours. So, Father, please help us uh, to do that. Please help us to, to bow the knee uh, before you, uh, to recognize you as our Lord and our God. Father, I'm grateful uh, for the psalm that we heard read uh, already, um, and we've heard it already, but I, I will pray again, as I always do, um, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as we come to the end of this chapter and of this conversation, this, this particular dialogue, um, I wanted to say one thing at the, at the outset. Um, so you heard two weeks ago and you heard last week how Bradley and I have kind of wrestled with the fact that it says that in this conversation, with all of the conflict and all of the tension that's been running all the way through it, uh, chapters 7 and 8, um, at least in this last part from verse 31, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. And, and, and you know, we've, we've said, you know, each week, that kind of stops you and says, why the conflict with those who had believed him? How do we understand that? Um, you know, and, and we want to, my first instinct, you know, as Bradley and I, certainly as we looked at this, you know, you start asking questions like, well, you know, is the word belief being used in a different way? Or what's the theological concepts that help us understand, you know, a, 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 a seeming faith um, you know, that, that, that isn't genuine and doesn't, doesn't go all the way through uh, to taking hold of Jesus. But it occurred to me as I thought about it this week um, that I might actually have been overthinking it. Uh, that wouldn't be a surprise, I guess. Um, you know, it seems to me um, that these are people 
who have said they want to believe in Jesus. In some way or another, they have said, we believe you. We want to follow you. But they're struggling. They're really struggling. They're struggling with things that he says. Um, there are things that he says that make them angry, uh, that are offensive, that they don't know what to do with. And that seems to me to be actually a pretty big category of people. In fact, that might be all of us, every single person in this room. Um, listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, but you're thinking about it, if there, if there are things that you hear Jesus saying that you say, yeah, some of that sounds good, and I want to believe that, but, but there's other things that he says that make me angry, um, that, that push me away. Um, I want you to notice in this passage, I want you to be encouraged at the way that Jesus is engaging with people that are in that position. And if you're here and you are a Christian, if you would say, I have put my faith in Christ. I don't just want to believe him, I, I do believe him. But there are things he says that are hard and that make me angry. Um, that is probably all of us. And again, I, I want us to notice how Jesus is engaging with people who want to believe, who have expressed that desire, um, but who have trouble with some of what he says. Um, everyone, listen, if, if you've read the Gospels and if you can't think of anything that Jesus says that makes you angry, um, I, wait, just wait. Or read it again and maybe read it more carefully. Um, Jesus says hard things. Um, for these people, it's, you know, what he says at the end, uh, above all, where he says, before Abraham was, I am, and, and we'll see, you know, just how offensive that was, how blasphemous it was for them. That got them angry. For us, there's things that Jesus says about sex. There are things that Jesus says about uh, judgment, about hell. There are things that Jesus says about our money um, that are hard and that can make us angry. And that, can, and that can push us back. Um, and I want us to see the tenacity uh, and the care of Jesus in engaging with these people. And, and, even though, and I also want us to realize that even though this conversation is coming to an end, you know, and you can see at the end of it, they're ready to kill him and he slips away, it's not at all the end of the story. It's not at all the end of his engagement, even with these issues. In chapter 10, we're going to be looking at some of the same questions again. Um, Jesus isn't done with these people, and he's not done with us. Um, with that as introduction to this passage, I really just want us to look at two things that Jesus says. I want us to pay careful attention to two things that he says in, in this passage. Um, and they are the two things that Jesus wants us to pay attention to. We know exactly what he wants us to pay attention to, um, because did you hear the, the truly trulies? Right? We've said this before. When we see Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you know, he uses that phrase, um, that is his way of pausing, of, of taking you by the shoulders, saying, listen, listen, this, this really matters. You, you need to get this part. Um, he says it twice in this passage. He says two things. Uh, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's the first one. 
And then the second one, the big one, the bombshell. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So I want us to look uh, at, those, at those two things. Um, we're at a point in this conversation where um, uh, the, the level of conflict is high. You know, what Jesus said last week about their paternity, they, they claim to be children of Abraham, but, you know, as, as, as Bradley said to us last week, their, um, their, their spiritual likeness and their conduct is revealing a different paternity. Um, that, in fact, they're acting as though their father is the devil. The murderousness of their hearts, the, the, the lies that they're buying into, um, that has offended them. Uh, it's not terribly surprising. They come back, they say, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan, that's a big insult uh, in, in, in that culture, and have a demon? Um, it's almost like they've, for this moment, they're angry enough that, that you know, they're not really making a point when they say this. It's, it's, it's kind of like they're just saying, we're not the ones that have a demon, you have a demon. You know, it's, it's not really that far above the level of, I know you are, but what am I? Um, they're really, really angry um, at him. But Jesus comes back and says, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And then we come to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So there's three parts to this, three parts to this statement, right? He says, if anyone keeps we have to ask, what does it mean to keep? My word. What's the word? He will never taste death. So let's, let's take this one at a time. When he talks about keeping his word, um, the word, the word here for keep um, means guard. Like guard closely, take care of, keep and guard. Uh, treasure, cherish, delight in. Um, really take care of this. Um, what we've seen in this chapter is that when Jesus talks about our relationship to his word, he uses active verbs, right? Keep my word, guard and cherish, right? Earlier we had you have to abide in my word. Uh, you have to dwell in it. Um, it has to be part of the rhythm of your life, it, what, what, it, what becomes um, second nature. We might say we have to cleave to um, his, uh, his, his word. Um, I think this is all just pointing us uh, yet again uh, to, uh, to Psalm 1, um, and specifically to the verses that we've been memorizing together this month as we've embarked on this project of reading the Psalms together. Psalm 1, 1 and 2, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And, and in some ways, that, that last verse, the verse 2 there, really gets at both aspects of this. You know, keeping his word, delighting in it, guarding it, taking care of it, abiding in it, meditating on it uh, day and night. Um, and so that's the first thing. When Jesus talks about keeping um, his word, he's talking about more than just obedience, more than just following the set of rules, you know, and checking off the boxes. 
He's talking about something that involves our whole person, our, our hearts, as well as our minds and our actions. Um, what does he mean when he says, keep my word? Well, on the one hand, um, this refers kind of generally to everything that he says, everything that he teaches, and beyond that to the word of God. The same word um, that we heard exalted in Psalm 19, as Bryce uh, read it. Uh, the law of the Lord that's perfect and that, and that revives the soul. Um, but here in this passage, uh, if we look at the, at the really close context of what he's talking about, um, Jesus says about himself uh, in verse 55, uh, talking about his father, he says, I know him, I know my father. He says, if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. So here in this passage, Jesus is talking about how he keeps the word of the Father. And how does that work out in this passage? What does that actually look like? Well, here, what that looks like, Jesus repeatedly says, I am not glorifying myself. I'm glorifying the Father. There's someone else who glorifies me. Um, I don't glory in myself, I glory in him. I was really glad that we, read, that we sang that uh, Horatius Bonner song, um, God forbid that I should glory, so that we would have that fresh in our ears, right? That use of this, it's kind of an old usage of the word glory as a verb, you know, that we would glory uh, in, in something. Um, what Jesus is saying in this passage um, is that the way that keeping the word of the Father works out in his own life is that he does not glory in himself. Uh, he glories in his Father, and he receives glory from uh, the Father. Now, why would it be that keeping, guarding, cherishing in his word in a way that would lead us uh, to glory in him and not in ourselves. Why would that mean you will never taste death? That's the last part of what Jesus says here in the truly, truly. And, and the Jews pick up on um, the absurdity of translating that literally as you won't physically die. Um, they're, they're, they're not wrong to point out, you know, Abraham, the prophets, uh, these all died. Are you saying there's, there's some way of, of, of keeping your word that would, that would, that would prevent that? Um, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He is talking about a deeper kind of death. He's talking about that spiritual death, that ultimate separation uh, from God that would cut us off uh, from the source of life, from the source of our being. Um, throughout Scripture, the way of seeking our own glory, glorying in ourselves, um, constantly is held up as something that would lead to death, would lead to separation from God, that, that, that spiritual death. Um, we looked at one of these uh, at, at one of these passages at, at Advent. It's interesting. 
Um, if you remember the, the, the context of this whole conversation, remember it's at this festival of, of booths where there's been all this imagery of water and of light. And, and at this festival, Jesus has said, you know, come to me and I'll give you living water and I am the light uh, of, of the world. Um, there's two places in scripture that talk about um, us being separated from God in a way that leads to death um, using exactly the same pictures, exactly the same images. Um, the one that uses water, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 2, um, right at the outset, when God wants to explain to his people what he has against them as, as judgment is coming, exile is coming, what he says is, here's what I have against you. You had me, a fountain of living waters, like a never-ending spring of water. That's what you had in me. And instead, you've chosen to dig cisterns, that is like, you know, pits in the ground. And what's worse, they don't even work. They don't hold water. You've rejected me, the fountain of living waters, in order to try to make your own way. And it doesn't even work. And it's leading you to death because it's cutting you off from me. Um, Isaiah is the one that uses the image of light. We looked at this one at Advent. Remember Isaiah 50, 10 and 11? Um, Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But then, behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Um, it's a way of saying, go ahead and try to light your own way. It's not going to work. You need the light that's coming into the world. Um, the one that Jesus has just gotten done saying is, is him. Um, you can't make your own way by your own torches, by your own light. The irony of, of this whole conversation um, is that, you know, these are people that are claiming to be children of Abraham, and yet they're failing to receive the gift that God offered to Abraham at the very beginning. Remember, 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 the, remember Abraham's call Back in Genesis 12, this is the very beginning of Abraham's story. Um, it's when arguably Abraham doesn't even know who God is. You know, he's, he's grown up in a, in, a, in a pagan culture, but God calls him, says, I want you to leave your homeland, leave your family, go to this other land that I'll show you. Um, doesn't even give him any more, you know, detail about that. Just says, trust me. But he says, as you go, he says, I am going to make a name for you. He's calling him out of his comfort zone, out of every capacity he would have to make a name for himself, and promising, I will make a name for you. Don't seek your own glory. I will give you a better glory. Um, the irony is that the folks that Jesus is talking to, though claiming Abraham as their father, um, are unable to receive that same gift and are even offended. Uh, at Jesus as he's, as, he's, as he's laying it out. 
Um, and this, this, of course, brings us to the second of the truly trulies, right, as, as Abraham really comes to the fore at the end of this, of this conversation. Truly, truly, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, we should look at how they got there, right? Because this, this is a huge bombshell, um, and it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Um, when Jesus offers them, uh, when Jesus says to them, if you keep my word, you'll never taste death, in some ways they ask exactly the right question. Um, who do you think you are? Uh, are you really greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? Who are you to be offering something that could persevere beyond death, uh, that could be stronger uh, than death? And Jesus says something that's kind of strange in response to that. Um, he doesn't really talk about him being, at the outset, he doesn't really talk about him being greater than Abraham, but he does say this. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. As though to say, again, your problem, you're claiming to be Abraham's children, but you're not rejoicing the way Abraham did. You're not rejoicing in what Abraham rejoiced. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Um... What does he mean by that? What did Abraham rejoice in? You know, if you go back and look at, at, at Abraham's story, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. It's, it's a story with a lot of ups and downs. You know, for someone who is like the father of this nation, uh, he is far from being perfect. It's very much a story about God's grace working with someone who has a lot of problems. Um, but there is a point... Um, when God makes him a promise, in Genesis 15, um, he, promise him, he promises him children, he promises him land. And it says that Abraham believed him. And that that faith, that joy, was credited to him uh, as, as righteousness. Abraham was able to rejoice uh, in the promise that God made to him. In answer to their question, are you greater than our father, Abraham? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they, and they know exactly what he means. They know exactly what that means when he, when he says that. Um, you know, the grammar in that sentence sounds kind of weird, right? Before Abraham was, I am. And, and, and I can assure you, this is not some like trick where we've just translated things literally from Greek and it, and it sounds okay in Greek. No, no, it sounds weird in Greek too, right? You're not supposed to say before Abraham was, I am. Um, in saying that, there can be no mistake of what Jesus is saying. Um, he's taking on his lips the name uh, that God gave to Moses for himself in Exodus 3. When Moses said, who should I tell the people uh, have, have, has, has sent me? And he says, tell them I am has sent you. 
In other words, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is, is, is answering their question. Are you greater than Abraham? Well, he says, I'm the one that was behind Abraham. I'm the one that was there before Abraham. I'm the one that made the promises. Abraham rejoiced to see my day in response to promises that I made. Um, you know, this again is along the lines of, of what he said, and uh, we, we talked about this in, in Matthew 23, when he, when he said, you know, I'm the one that sent you these prophets. Um, Jesus is claiming for himself uh, something that's absolutely audacious, and they, and they know it. Uh, they know that this is blasphemous. That's why they pick up these stones. This is one of these hard things that Jesus says, right? This is the one that makes them uh, really angry. It's important for us to grapple with this. Um, if we're going to grapple with who Jesus really is, um, it's important for us to see uh, that he doesn't just offer pearls of wisdom. You know, he's, he's not just the great uh, teacher that we can pick and choose, you know, some of his teachings that sound good to us and then leave aside uh, the rest. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this really well in, in, in Mere Christianity. Um, he said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. So you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being merely a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Well, of course, the, the crowd here, they do make their choice. Um, they've heard enough at this point. Um, they pick up stones. Um, stoning was the death appropriate for someone uh, who was a blasphemer, uh, who made himself equal with God. Um, that's, why they, that's why they pick up uh, these stones. And it says that uh, Jesus hides himself and goes out. Um, earlier in this passage, he had said it, it wasn't his hour yet. It wasn't yet time for him to die, and it's still not. Um, and, that's, and that's the end of this, of this conversation. Um, but I do want to make sure that we see the invitation, that even though this conversation here has ended like this, um, again, it's not the end of the story, but even here within this conversation, I want us to see the invitation that Jesus is offering to us as we grapple with the things that he says that can make us angry and that can push us away. What, would, what, it, what it would mean for these people who want to claim Abraham as their father but whose spiritual likeness and conduct are betraying their true paternity. What it would mean would be to glory in the same things that Abraham gloried in, the same things that he rejoiced in. Now, think about this. 
when Abraham comes to the end of his story, okay, so you come to the end of Abraham's story in the book of Genesis, um, God had promised him children and land, and, and a lot of both, right? Um, what does Abraham actually have? Does he have enough children and enough land to be rejoicing that God has fulfilled these promises exactly as he said? He has two children at the end of his story, um, only one of whom, Isaac, is the son of the promise. Um, he really only has one that's, that's in that line that God promised to him. Uh, as for land, um, this, one's, this one's harder. Uh, I don't know if you know how much land Abraham actually has when he comes to the end of his story. What he owns in the promised land, what he actually owns, is just this one burial plot that he had to pay for, uh, and in fact, which he overpaid for. Uh, and he knew it. Uh, you can go read the story. I think it's Genesis 23. It's, it's kind of humorous. Um, but that is all he's got. He has one child and a little burial plot that he overpaid for. Um, what does it mean that he's rejoicing to see Jesus' day? The book of Hebrews helps us with this, right? Hebrews characterizes the faith of Abraham. It talks about Abraham who, as one who had his eyes fixed on a better country, someone who knew he wasn't home, but he knew that he would be. It talks about his, his, his faith um, being such that he was even able to offer up that one son of the promise, believing that somehow God would give him back. Um, and if you remember, when God saw that, he said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you didn't withhold from me your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. What would it mean for us to rejoice in the same things that Abraham rejoiced in? Um, we're in a different position than he was. We have seen much more uh, of the promise, much more of the fulfillment of God's promises than Abraham did. What would it mean for us to delight in the th same things that Abraham is? What is Jesus inviting us to see? I want you to imagine, just for a minute, what if Abraham could actually see the glory? What, what if he could actually see the glory that John talks about? You know, in John's gospel, when John talks about glory, the main thing that he's talking about again and again is the cross. The main thing he's talking about is, is the cross of Christ where God fully reveals the kind of God that he really is. If Abraham could stand at the foot of the cross, I think he would say, now I finally know. All my life I was asking, how do I know? How do I know you love me? How do I know you're going to take care of me? How do I know you're going to fulfill these promises? How do I know it was a good idea to leave Ur? He kept asking, how do I know? At the foot of the cross, Abraham could say, now I know. Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold from me your son, your only begotten son, Jesus, your beloved. The invitation is for us to come alongside of Abraham, to look at the same thing, to grapple with the same 
truth to receive that same gift. Let me read one more time from the book of Hebrews just to close us in a way that I think will send us towards this table. At the end of Hebrews, it talks about that glory. It says this, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's what we're doing when we come to this table. Let's pray.